0: It's close to Halloween, and I thought, what a perfect time to take a look at some of the lore in Louisiana. This is the Ton Report. I'm your host, Tan Trung. Louisiana has been the backdrop to plenty of books and movies that fit into the gothic or horror categories. Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire quickly comes to mind. More relatively recent films, like The Last Exorcism II, have been set in Louisiana as well. In New Orleans, it's not hard to find a ghost or voodoo tour in the French Quarter, And come Halloween, the city just takes on a more macabre quality. So what is it about Louisiana that makes it so fertile for frightening stories?
1: I think we can't bury our dead too deep here works as both a literal statement and as a metaphor. Louisiana is a place that is, I don't know if you know the term liminal, but it exists in between. Our dirt is somewhere between water and dirt. Our culture, most of our cultures, I'm not just talking about Cajun culture, I've lived in other parts of the state, Louisiana is a place where people and things and waters, fresh water meets salt water.
0: It's brackish. It's brackish.
1: Everything about it is brackish from, from the people on up. And I think that that challenges things. And I think that that causes fear. I think that there's an unpredictability to Louisiana. And I think that that presentation has created the reality of Louisiana's instability. And I'm not just talking about our land loss. I'm talking about our political instability, our emotional instability, the, the juxtaposition of, geezy crazy, just New Orleans and Baton Rouge, right? there's 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 tension and uncertainty in almost every aspect of this state. And I think that it creates that vibe. It creates that that alienness that other people, when they when they come to Louisiana, you know, and it's not just because the roads suddenly go to crap, right? You know, when you get into Louisiana, there's something about it, and I do feel like it's that collective, subconscious sort of tension and awareness. You have to be aware in Louisiana.
0: That's Alexis Bro. I reached out to her to learn more about one of the more recognizable creatures in Louisiana lore, the rougarou. One of the first things I learned about the Rougarou is that it's not just a werewolf type of monster, which is how it's often portrayed. Alexis told me the Rougarou is a shapeshifter and can take on many forms. Alexis can relate. She takes on different forms too.
1: I am an author, illustrator, and I guess as of recently I'm dubbed a folklorist because I've done a lot of research on Louisiana folklore and stories for not just my my books that I've written and illustrated, but also for a podcast
0: that we just started putting out. That podcast is called Outlandish Parish, and the first episode was dedicated to the Rougarou. And if you want to take a deep dive into the history of the Rougarou, I recommend you check it out. But for us here, Alexis will serve as a sort of guide to the world of Cajun and Louisiana folklore and how the Rougarou fits into that world. When I sat down with Alexis, it was in the kitchen of her mother's home in South Louisiana, Alexis lives next door.
1: I live in Cutoff, Louisiana, which if you don't know where that is, it's the last Walmart on the way to Grand Isle.
0: Before we get into the Rougarou and its connection to Cajun culture, I should say Alexis Bro is not the stereotypical Cajun. She'll be the first to tell you that she's a proud nerd, someone who grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons instead of trapping and fishing. It wasn't until later in her life, after being away from Louisiana, that she came back to Cutoff and her Cajun roots.
1: I'm a equal parts Petri and a bear. I'm, I'm. I joke that I'm purebred Cajun because that's not really a thing. Uh, but my family's been in Lafourche Parish since they came here after the Dérangement, and which is what? Uh, okay, the Dérangement is when uh, the British could not understand how the Acadians wouldn't side with the French in some big war they had up north, and they kicked everybody out of Nova Scotia. And it was very violent. And it was horrible. And you should do your own research on it because. Um, it's, it's a lot, but uh, basically the British took control of the area of Acadie in Nova Scotia that the Cajuns were living in, and the Acadians spent, they were a population without a home for anywhere from 10 to 30 years, depending on which little pocket. A third of them escaped, a third of them died, and a third of them survived, and a vast majority of that third that survived did eventually wind up in South Louisiana, which is where the Acadian population comes from and the Cajun population kind of started to coalesce.
0: And that's your people.
1: These are my people.
0: What was it like for you to kind of tap into that history that was really embedded in your family?
1: It reminds me of, of, of learning that, like, you, like I was today years old. Like, it, it really made me, it, it made me feel regretful that I hadn't gotten it sooner and that I hadn't seen it when I was here you know, the internet was just coming out when I was in high school, the world was everywhere but here. So when I came back and to see that all the things that I had been looking for in every other culture already existed in my own culture, uh, there was some self deprecation, there was there was a lot of me, Oh, my gosh, why didn't you see this sooner? Why did you have to go away? But I think that there's something to the fact that a lot of writers, a lot of philosophers, I'm pretty sure even Buddha, sat there and said, you know, you go out into the world and you come back and you see your home with new eyes. And it's it part was, of the journey. Yeah, and it was definitely, that was that was my journey, was I needed to be outside of it to be able to see it. And as an artist, as an illustrator, I'm still sort of outside of this culture because I'm not a shrimper. I don't, you know, I'm not a hunter. Um, I can barely fish. But, you know, as, as, a, as a person who was gone for so long, I can still have that perspective where I can sit back and appreciate it in a way that some people can't. Um, it's, it's been, you know, the, the work of a, a lifetime. Sometimes I feel like I'm playing catch up because I didn't learn these things when I was younger.
0: She may have started late, but it seems like Alexis has fully embraced the Cajun inside her. You can find her on Instagram giving tutorials on Cajun French.
1: Hey everybody, Alexis Bro here, coming at you again from Frenchman Street with the Cajun word of the day. And today, that word is chat, as in cat. Now, we also use minu in Cajun French, but today I'm talking about Le chat vécontage, the Spotted Cat Music Club, by far the best place for live music on Frenchman Street.
0: Alexis has written several children's books with Cajun themes, including a book titled. One, two, Rougarou. Oddly, she didn't grow up hearing about this Cajun creature in her house.
1: I was not raised with a lot of folklore. I, my grandpa was a nerd. Like, if you just imagine...
0: Uh, so are you, though. I right?
1: really am. Um, we, liked, we liked watching Jeopardy together, me and Paul. <laughs> but um, he didn't... You know, we, we listened to Nat King Cole with him, and we listened to, you know, Frank Sinatra... We didn't hear stories about the Rougarou growing up so much. My friends did, and we would, you know, sort of childhood boogeyman gossip. But I really came to this academically as an adult. And when I was, like a lot of people in our generation are, sometime in my mid-20s, I wound up back at home with mom where I swore I was never going to be. Absolutely not. And... um one of the things that I used to reacclimate myself to my hometown was studying my hometown the way I'd studied all these other cultures, the way I'd studied other people's folklore. And so it wasn't until I was a little older that I actually started looking at the collections of Louisiana folklore from Mr. Ancelet, uh, Mr. Barry Jean Ancelet out of Lafayette, the collections that they have with the Folklife Collaboration trying to just talk to the older people of my family about stories and things like that but it wasn't until I was older it wasn't something that I was like it wasn't something that I was raised with
0: once alexis immersed herself in cajun folklore she discovered a vast collection of characters and creatures
1: our biggest monsters that kind of everybody knows about are the rougarou the Foufollet, um, which is a the foufollet is a um, our version of the will-o'-the-wisp um, even if you're not a folklorist, if you've seen Disney's Brave, those little blue lights that Merida follows through the footwoods, that's the will of the wisp. The Hawaiian culture has the night walkers, and that's the, the lights that go across the mountains. Basically, I, I mean, I'm sure Vietnam has versions of this, too. The lights in the—anywhere you find a marshy a marshy area that's going to produce swamp gas, the people there produced a mythology about it. And the fufule is ours. We also have—one uh, of my favorites is Madame de Grandois. It's that that translates to the woman with the big fingers and it's this woman in prairie culture who pulls your toes and maybe pulls them off and like wears them on a necklace around her neck. Um, we also have the Honey Island Swamp Monster, which is supposedly the story of this is, is so, so just like cryptid silly, but it's the uh, a train full of chimpanzees wrecked <laughs> and they, they crossbred with alligators uh, up on the North Shore um, but because then you get. That's
0: a f- where all great things happen. Is on the north. Shore,
1: <laughs> North Shore, north
0: Shore and, and
1: and genetics don't matter and biology uh, laws don't matter on the North Shore. Um, but then you go up to the Argol of Natchitoches, and that's one that very few people know about. But there are actually police reports about this one. The Argo Argolfargan. Argol Fargen. Argol Okay. Uh, and there was. It's a. It's a Bigfoot type shape shifting creature that these two guys they just swore that this 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 ape woman abducted them back in the back in back in the day and they they stuck to their stories so much you can actually look up their police reports that's that's fairly contemporary uh well like I, I, about 80 90 years ago
0: so t- tell me about the Rougarou. i mean w- would you say that the Rougarou in the lore that that is down here is like the most known
1: um i think the Rougarou is come to be known, it, it's almost become like a universal boogeyman term. Like we use the term Rougarou for everything from a ghost on the side of the road or a headless corpse sighting and things like this. To say, I saw the Rougarou because the Cajun concept of the Rougarou differs from the European concept of the Loupgarou in that our, our shapeshifter can turn into anything. Now there's a, some accounts.
0: But let's go back. What does Loupgarou mean?
1: Loupgarou, Loup is a wolf in French. So a loop garou, a garou is a werewolf, and if you go to Haiti and if you go to other French-occupied uh, areas, you're going to see that they still use the loop garou. The term rougarou is specific to the Mi'kmaq, Metis tribes of Canada and Northern Maine, and you know it, it, when you come to Indigenous nations. The, the boundaries are a little, a little different that, you know, there are, there are parts of their territory that, tr- that traverse both countries, both the United States and, um, Canada, but you're looking at a story that was born in Nova Scotia and in the meat mi- where the Mi'kmaq and the, are uh, the most, most, uh, Americans are going to think of them as the Mi'kmaq, but it's, it's pronounced Mi'kmaq and, um, They're going to, you know, that story was produced there, where their indigenous shape-shifting concept met the French concept of the werewolf, and it became something different. And it blended, and it became a different story. And so in Cajun culture, you have the Rougarou, and sometimes there are stories about the Loupgarou, but almost everyone I know says Rougarou. And it is a fluid shapeshifter. Not just it; it won't just turn specifically into a wolf. Although it does seem to perf- to like a wolf form, there is there is an affinity for the the, the the canine aspect. But it's capable of turning into other animals as well.
0: So any any type of monster, any I
1: type of animal, you could see a, a an, an angry chicken, and it's it's a ruguru You could like an animal behaving oddly might be a ruguru
0: But would a ruguru be a always a hybrid of an animal and mm-hmm. a, a human it could just nope, be a it could straight be, up it could animal. be an animal
1: like you, you would see it as an animal um i think i think the wolfman visual is much more represented in visual media that's how it's presented and when you want to draw rougarou whether you're putting it on a beer label or, or cookies or whatever zillions of things have rougarou on them that's going to be what the artist is going to pull for because that's what's you know, it's a visual language, In visual language—the the, the wolf man hybrid—is a rugaru. But despite that depiction, women could be rugaru, children could be rugaru. There wasn't any sort of designation, and they didn't have to be presented as that wolf man hybrid. But I have heard stories about people seeing that sort of halfway between a a wolf and a man uh, character—that that seeing that that entity in front of them. So there is, you know, it, it's sticking for a reason.
0: Was there a reason to tell the story of the Rougarou in Cajun culture and Acadian culture? Oh,
1: definitely. It was it was to make sure that you behaved. The Louisiana landscape like we were talking about earlier, it does it does exude this this eeriness and this scariness, but it's also very scary out there at sometimes, especially. Well, right, you night. don't want to
0: be wandering in the in the bayou by yourself. I mean no. there's a lot of stuff that can get you.
1: I mean even even like we're Fairly, you know, we've got a Walmart and everything. We're fairly domestic here, and there was an alligator that kept going back and forth here. So even right now, we have to be careful going outside for the snakes and everything. I can't even imagine, you know, how how disturbing it was when there were no lights at all, and uh, and more trees, and the swamp was a lot closer, and the marsh was a lot closer. So the ruguru tends to be um, one of the the scary things that your mama warned you about. You better listen to me or the Rougarou is going to get you. And especially when you, you talk about, to me, one of the most important aspects of the Rougarou is how tied it is to Catholic culture. Um, because if there are all kinds of consequences if you don't follow certain religious dictates, that you're either going Catholicism's to Catholicism
0: is pretty good for that.
1: Catholicism is very good at uh, at scaring you into listening to them,
0: reminding you of punishment.
1: Ah, oh, yes, it is, and reminds you that if you like, one of the big things is if you if you break Lent for seven years in a row, you're going to become a rougarou. If you don't, if you go hunting on holy days, the Ruguru might come after you. That he's out in the marsh on holy days himself I guess somehow pardoned from going to mass maybe he went to midnight mass I'm not sure but the Ruguru is out in the marsh and if you go hunting uh, on holy days the Ruguru is gonna get you or if you see the Ruguru then you can't hunt for a week um, man they, the
0: Ruguru sounded like an enforcer
1: and, and he's, he's come to he's come to have that role in 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 culture in our in in Cajun culture the Ruguru is the the person who is going to enforce the rules that are imposed imposed upon you the ruguru is the per, is the the creature that's going to make sure is going to punish you if you don't listen the ruguru is the he's going to come pull your toes if you don't listen to your mama. you know it's it's a it's definitely for all I, I i mean we can't we can't go all the way back and see how those every single story was related you know hundreds of years ago but today's the stories that i grew up with and the stories that are You know, people relate now that they heard when when our generation was growing up are definitely, you know, the Rougarou as like the sheriff, like the Rougarou as the person who's monitoring the marsh to make sure you behave and monitoring when you go hunting to make sure that you don't, you know, do something terribly damaging when you're out there. Or monitor the, I guess, who's going to church and make sure that you're going to comply with the, the dictates of the Catholic Church and... There's a certain aspect of the Rougarou that that is almost seems diametrically like the exact
0: opposite of that. What I found interesting about the Rougarou is that it's not just some kind of boogeyman lurking nearby. Sometimes, people can turn into the Rougarou. So in in the past, or I imagine it at, at some point in Louisiana history, there were people that were perceived to be the Rougarou, or um, like in, in towns? Yeah. And- I mean,
1: in in the amount of, like, when I have a story that involves a movie theater in Golden Meadows, so since there have been movie theaters, I mean, there a friend of mine told me a ton of stories, um, and her mom's in her 60s, and this is stories from when she was younger, so we're not talking hundreds of years ago, we're talking about since bell-bottoms were invented. Um, and... There were people that she said her mama and papa, her mama and her aunts they all lived in a neighborhood kind of like this one where everybody was related, and they would sit in the afternoon and gossip about who in the neighborhood they, they just knew they were a rougarou they just they knew they were a rougarou, and this is like yeah like since color TV you know not not ancient past.
0: So what would what would happen to the person that was believed or perhaps branded as the Ruguru of the town?
1: Um, it was, I it seems a lot like. I was talking about seeing those connections. A lot of that seems to, it it gives me echoes of times that I've heard about like, like old witchcraft lore where it was a person who was already kind of a little weird and already a little bit outside of the margins. There are stories about a person selling their soul to the devil to become the Rougarou. You know, you had to do it on a, on a gravel road on a full moon night and you had to, you could, you could sell your soul to the devil for the power of being a shapeshifter and the people who thought that you had done that, you know, they might be wary of you because you had this power, you had this capability that they didn't have. So I mean, how would how would any individual, you know, some people might embrace that, some people might stay the heck away from it. But it really seems like a lot of times this was probably a person that was already, for whatever reason, a little a little marginalized. Center. Yeah. I mean, there were there were goths and Emo boys of nineteen twenties. They just nobody had enough of a diverse wardrobe for them to really stand out. It was all in the attitude and what you chose to
0: read. And I guess them, I guess that made them easier targets to be believed or thought of yeah. as a rougarou.
1: And it, and it, it's you hear stories about um all, and the rougarou was something you could be relieved of because you could pass the curse on to somebody else in certain instances um, if you drew their blood. If, if, like, let's say you were a Ruguru and I wanted to take it onto myself because after so many days, you, the statue of limitations run out and you're going to be a Ruguru forever. I just have to give a little cut and then I become the Ruguru. I don't have to, like, decapitate you or shoot you with a silver bullet or anything. Just draw your blood and then I would take that curse onto myself and then it would be passed. From one person to another, that who would,
0: comes up with these these rules?
1: Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I, it just
0: I, gets passed down to It gets passed
1: down, and and like the one of the most one of the fun ones that isn't very scary is the the, the thirteen pennies, because one way to guard yourself against the rougarou was to not was to put a bunch of little things in front of them that they needed to count. For sometimes it's a colander. If you ever see a colander hanging by somebody's door, that. Seems like a really weird place to put a colander, but it was for not just the Ruguru. If you go back to the older European stories, there are other creatures that are subjected to this law that they have to, if they see a bunch of tiny things, they have to count it. And so you could trap them by distracting them by putting the colander in front of them because then they'd have to count the holes. Or it could just be um, ditty guys, like l- little tiny things. I really like the one that's 13 pennies. And I have a friend of mine, um, I did a little children's book called One Two Ruguru. And he called me up and he said, I had to do home improvement because of you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, my daughter made me route out 13 holes in her door, her door threshold and embed pennies in it and cover them with resin and seal them in so that she would always be safe from the Rougarou. With the Rougarou stories, you really do see these sort of like built-in fail-safes. You know, there's a, kind of like we were talking about with, with Catholics. You know, you dig your own grave with a Catholic. You, you make your choices. And with the Rougarou, a lot of time it is a choice you're choosing to not go to land you're choosing to hunt on a holy day you're choosing the action that results in you becoming the ruguru it's not something yeah, you're that you just struggling with you
0: disobey your your parents and walk out in the woods yeah, at night it's, by yourself you, yeah the ruguru is going to get you the going to get you i mean the ruguru as we as we said the ruguru was an enforcer sort of like a reckoner. Mm-hmm. but from what I understand, the Ruguru also could be something that you become. Mm-hmm. And regrettably, because of your own actions, like, tell me about that aspect of it. How did that evolve from something that was external, somebody, the boogeyman was going to get you into something that you could become the monster yourself? Like, how did that come about?
1: I think I think that's the case in almost every culture. I mean, if if, if people didn't see themselves in monsters we wouldn't have the halloween that we have you know it, point. it's i think that with the stories of people for willing to sell their soul to the devil to become the ruguru with the stories of people willfully breaking these laws i think that when you become the ruguru it's it's like you're you're forced to face your own monster you're forced to face the ways that you failed, whether it's your community, your family, your church, you're forced to look into yourself. And in that way, it's almost kind of unique amongst a lot of even cryptid and folklore monsters because you look at other, you know, Bigfoot doesn't have a big moral contingency. You know, <laughs> there's not a lot of morality connected to Bigfoot lore. There's not a lot of... um church dogma connected to mothman up in point pleasant like there's not a lot of uh of complicated
0: um yeah swamp thing is not really like you're not really debating the right and wrongs of his life
1: yeah i mean there's alan moore did beautiful things with a comic book but like it's not the actual myths that it comes from aren't really like really morally heavy the way that the rougarou is and i think with the rougarou you you see yourself in it so much that you know we all we all have those shortcomings we all have those problems and i think that that the ruguru holds this role in our culture that we could all we that there's potential for anyone to become that monster you know the, the kind of like how it's become a name for a bunch of different type of monsters that also kind of you know you could stretch that into thinking that there's potential for all of us to become a ruguru because we're all potentially capable of doing be- neglectful things doing disrespectful things, doing inconsiderate things.
0: Of course, when you're dealing with the supernatural, something like the ruguru can instill fear or fright. But Alexis says in the realm of demons and devils, the ruguru is actually pretty tame compared to the creature it may consider a close cousin.
1: The ruguru is actually one of the most subdued werewolves. Like if you look at the European lupgaru, these are horrifying stories. These are like... Hundreds of people dead, like the, the beast of... A lot of carnage. Oh my lord, like like mass decapitations, like there are whole flocks of sheep. It's flocks of sheep, it's herds of cows and flocks of sheep, both slaughtered across the pastures. You know, when you get to, to European werewolf lore... There is some truly, truly bloodthirsty and gory stuff out there that we don't really have with the Ruguru. The Ruguru is a very individual monster. It He doesn't attack a whole town. He doesn't rampage across the countryside, murdering and slaughtering indiscriminately. This is a monster that has a conscience. This is a monster that has a role in our culture. This is a monster that isn't the indiscriminate, you know...
0: Killing machine. Killing
1: thing in the dark. This is a monster that's going to come after you not by chance, but because of something that you've done. It's, it's a more directed monster, but it is also like a very low on the body count. If, you, if you're going to classify the Ruguru with werewolves, and I think most people would, even, even though it is a, a shapeshifter, I think you, it's got a really low body count as it, compared to a lot of other werewolf mythology.
0: So where would you rank like the on a scary level? I mean, would the ruguru be down near the bottom? or it, Because it's more personal, should we be more afraid of the Rougarou? rather um, than an indiscriminate killer like the loop guru. I I I would
1: if I were to see anything even vaguely like a ruguru in my backyard, I'm 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 going to void all my bodily fluids and run, right? Like 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 as far as an in-person interaction, I'm going to be petrified. But as an abstract concept, I think it's kind of one of those things like if you if you stay on the right side of a certain moral code, then you're not worried about it.
0: True to the Cajun's understanding of the shape-shifting nature of the Rougarou, the modern-day Rougarou can come in the form of a boxer. Well, sort of. New Orleans native and boxer Regis Progray took on the nickname Rougarou as he worked his way up to the title of Super Lightweight Champion. From New Orleans, Louisiana, USA, the reigning, defending, undefeated WBA Super Lightweight Champion of the World Rougarou Rougarou! Rougarou! Along the bayous in South Louisiana, the Rougarou has morphed into a festival. Come out to the Rougarou Fest presented by Louis Mohanna Furniture October 20th through 22nd. A family friendly festival with a spooky flair celebrating Louisiana's folklore. Don't miss the... This year's Rugaroo Fest in Homa just wrapped up. It celebrates the rich history of folklore in the region, but it also tries to raise awareness about the challenges down here. The Rugru Fest benefits the South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center, which is dedicated to preserving the disappearing coast of Louisiana, something that is arguably more terrifying than a shapeshifter. Alexis says when it comes to folklore, it's the true stories that are often the most frightening. Honestly,
1: the scariest stories that we have in Louisiana are the, are the real ones, right? I'm talking about the Carter Brothers vampires from New Orleans. Again, with police records that these men were abducting people and um, draining their blood and storing it, and then they were captured, and then they were executed, and then they were New Orleans buried, right? They were They were in—it's not interred, because there's no earth to put them in, but they were entombed. And then they went to move them out of the tomb because that's what you do in New Orleans, right? Every couple of years, you clean house and put a new person in there. And there was nothing in there in either of them. Both of the brothers' bodies were gone. And that's documented. That's not something, that's not oral tradition. That's police reports. You know, the stories of Louisiana get interesting. One of the most haunting tales I know, and one that I definitely grew up with, was the story of the Chenier caminada hurricane down here. And the imagery of that is excruciating, because the thing that I always remember is the women who had drowned and they were hanging by their hair from the trees because they got tangled uh, This was eighteen ninety three right right down in grand you know just north of Isle in the Cheniere settlement, and that was some imagery that has to be have equivalents in other parts of the state. You know, the, idea, those, the the things that you saw from hurricanes and stuff, the, the stuff that really happened is always way scarier than, you know, some glowing lights in the marsh.
0: With many communities in Louisiana dealing with the plague of crime and violence, there could be a practical utility in reminding people about a creature ready to stalk those who break a certain moral code. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're so fascinated with mythical beings like the Rougarou. They can sometimes distract us from this notion that the real monsters we should fear... Are the ones walking among us. In Cutoff, I'm Tan Trung for WWL Radio.